right. Welcome to Alumless. I am Ryan Catherwood. It is great to have you with us. Thanks for tuning in here on the show. We talk about engagement strategies and educational advancement. And uh, Alumless is a CMAC production. I, of course, am here joined with Mr. CMAC himself, Chris Marshall. How's it going, Chris? Good. Is that animation that I saw part of the recording now that people will see or... I think I, I think honestly I blew it right there. Like <laughs> it, it, I tried to hit record and then hit the animation button and then but we should let's play it again just because we have a new logo and we have oh a look new, at that yeah uh, for those listeners who haven't seen it you have to check out the page real quick uh, follow us on the CMAC LinkedIn page and um, tell us what you think about our new logo and our new motion graphic. We are stepping things up here in the world. Uh, paid for a little graphic design work, and uh, you know, I think things are moving in the right direction. We've really professionalized this. I thing, think you should have just said that you created this all on your own. You learned the software, you downloaded all the right stuff, and I am I am dangerous with uh, Canva. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's what I got. Uh, but uh, we are incredibly grateful. Before we get too far into the show, to thank our fantastic sponsor, Protopia. Uh, Protopia is a uh, excellent new startup within our space with some great clients. And the role of AI in today's advancement shop is on the front burner for every senior leader these days. It's not just ChatGPT. For the last three years, Protopia has helped universities partner like Duke and the London School of Economics scale engagement using alumni and donor, using AI to engage alumni and donors. And Protopia's technology enables simple, scalable engagement across the four case modes for engagement without ever asking a student, alum, or donor to sign up for something new. It's a lead generation tool for advancement while also a valuable resource for the campus community. Visit protopia.co forward slash alumless for more information and to check out uh, all about the technology. Okay. So, um, Chris, you know, before we get going, we're going to bring Rob Shaw's out here for the day. I have a question for you. Um, behind me, I'm in the middle. I'm at the Inn at Swarthmore College. I think there's the R. The first R is not pronounced. Actually, it's Swarthmore. actually if you're if you're a Swati, as they call themselves, you actually expect to hear the first R. Swarthmore is that right? Yeah. Okay, so I, I did not know that, and I've been trying to figure <laughs> out whether that first R is pronounced or not. It sounds like it depends. Uh, it's a consultant thing. It depends. <laughs> but here's my question. You're in, you walk into a hotel room and there are two beds like there are behind me. I'm like smack in the middle between two beds. Do you pick the same one every time? Do you pick the left one or the right one? Or does it vary depending on your mood or the setup of the room? Closest to the window. Always. Closest to the window. Okay. We'll have to ask Rob the same question. <laughs> I am always a left Side left bed guy. I don't know why, but I guess it's the side of the bed I sleep on at home. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I just thought I would ask you about that one. Uh, but we are so here. Like, I'm like Zach Galifianakis between two ferns. You're between, between two, two beds. Between two ferns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's great. I'm actually here in Philadelphia area. And um, it's the Washburn and McGoldrick back to school retreat, which I'm really excited about uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. And um, I'm see, tomorrow is Wednesday. We're actually recording this early. We are not live today. I did not point that out. We are pre-recording. So, uh, folks, if you are listening to us Friday at 1130 at our normal time, 
you can uh, post some questions in the LinkedIn event and we will definitely be able to respond to them, but we are not going to be able to see those questions in real time. Uh, but so Chris, you know, as you think about the Washburn McGoldrick back to school retreat, you know, what are you thinking about and um, what sort of are you looking forward to? Yeah, as I think most of our listeners know that CMAC partner company is Washburn McGoldrick. When they need alumni engagement support, they bring us in. And when we have broader development projects, you know, campaign studies and that, like we bring them in. So it's a nice back and forth. And they meet a couple times a year as a full staff. They have about a dozen people to our four or five people. And we get together these few times a year. And it's just fun because, you know, in a consultant role, you're off on your own all the time and you're constantly you know, fighting the the loneliness game. But when you get with your colleagues, you get re-energized. They're all really smart people. They know their business um, and you learn from them every single time any of them speak. So I love that part of it. They're wicked smart. And uh, the thing I'm most high, interested in for this conference, we have a session that you and I are going to facilitate tomorrow morning on the intersection or the combining of alumni engagement and annual giving, which we're seeing happening more and more. And we're going to start to peel away a little bit to get at How's it working? Why is it working? Should it work? And what needs to be in place for it to do so? So that'll be a fun session. Yeah. I mean, just our prep call for yeah. that was so, so many things to talk about. And, and when does it work? And why does it work? And uh, does it work everywhere? Should everyone be trying this? And I think the answer is uh, probably no, right? Uh, that not yeah. everyone should be trying this. And we're going to flesh that out a little bit more. We have a top 10 uh, kind of prerequisites of things that need to be in place for this to work. And right. that's, that sounds like a blog post coming, Ryan. <laughs> that's cool. We have a good good start on that post, obviously, with that top 10 list. Uh, but, you know, Chris, we wanted to talk today with Rob Shoss about uh, alumni surveys. We we're talking about value perception. And sort of to tee up the conversation, I wanted to ask you about when it comes to adding or subtracting programs during your tenure at either Lehigh or Cornell, what was the toughest decision you had to make and how did you use data that provided insights on the perceptions of alumni in order to make that call? Yeah. Well, in, in interesting connection between our guest and that question is that in 2001, when Rob started his company, Peg Performance Enhancement Group's alumni attitudinal study. Um, he he it was a new company in 2001. He put out a thing in that 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 summer or fall to anybody who said, "Hey, look, I'm starting this new survey. We think it's going to have a real benefit to the industry. Um, anybody who wants to participate in the first year, we'll do it for you for free." And I'm a new alumni leader, <laughs> and I said, "Sure, I'll do it." I think I was one of the first 11 schools that did it, uh, and I got a ton of great data out of it, and instantly it helped me make some decisions that changed the course of our program. And I used it twice at Lehigh, once at Cornell, believe in the tool, believe in getting in input from alums on a regular basis to inform your strategies. And the big one at Lehigh was we had a kind of a, I, I viewed it as a stale, probably a Lehigh alum will see this and I'll get in trouble, but uh, <laughs> we had a stale uh, alumni reunion program that happened the uh, first weekend in June every year. They still do it um, this way for some classes, but what we were hearing, from, especially from our young alums, and it came out in the survey that they want something different. Um, so we moved it into the fall around a home football game weekend, had record attendance, did it for many years while I was there. They've since moved it back, but it won a case award when we did it. So it was all based on the data that we heard from the alums in this survey. Our alums, want, our young alums wanting something different for a class reunion. Yeah. And that's a great example of, you know, listening to the results of uh, the survey. It's, it's part of the reason to do 
the survey is to, to get those results so that you can make some informed decision making uh, based on data. Right. But uh, let's go ahead and let's bring Rob Shoss out to the show so we can talk man, all the about myth, it. The legend. The man, the myth, the legend. Rob Shoss. Oh, right. Hello, gentlemen. It's great to have Definitely you. Definitely by the window. By the window? By the window. By the window, all the way. <laughs> that's good. So don't you guys don't feel like that's like gonna wake you up or I don't know. I feel like the the, the left side's usually the inside bed and um it's darker <laughs> over there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, we're grateful to have Rob to the show. Rob is the president and managing consultant of PEG LTD uh, performance, uh, performance en enhancement group, right? Enhancement group. You got it. Yeah. We don't, we don't often say performance enhancement group. We just do PEG, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the alumni attitude study, which of course, many folks around our space will recognize um, so, Rob, how did you get into the alumni survey business? I know Chris kind of alluded to how it started and how you all first met, but maybe you can share a bit about your story. Yeah, right. I was uh, working in a, in a consulting role doing a lot of customer sat, employee culture work, and we did a project with Texas A&M. They had recently done a rebranding, and they wanted to uh, better understand the impact of that rebranding. So we did a study for them, and it seemed like an interesting space. It seemed like not a lot of this kind of work being done in, in the space. So as Chris said, we brought together a group of schools in 2000, 2001. Lehigh was in that group, Georgia, Michigan, Baylor. Uh, we had some private schools, public schools. It was a really nice mix and worked on what are the kinds of questions that ought to be in an instrument like this. And that really launched the whole thing. Um, we've since worked with, what, 350 different universities and colleges over the last 20, 23 years. And um, so it's, it's been really interesting. Which is amazing. I mean, you've worked with so many schools and so many of uh, alumni leaders have worked with you over the course of the last uh, 20 years or so. Thinking more short term over the last couple of years, things have changed a bit since COVID-19, the pandemic. Uh, we're, we're sort of coming out on the other side. And, um, you know, even though you know, COVID's had a little bit of a surge uh, at this moment, but uh, we're, I saw more masks at the airport today than I'd seen in quite some time, which was interesting. But um, could you talk about when you work with clients in sort of today's environment, have you discovered that anything has changed in the perceptions of alumni uh, in the last couple of years? Yeah, several interesting things with that. So one of the things schools often will ask is, well, we've just had this big issue come up. Let's delay the survey for a year. Let's wait till, till it's more normal. And in, in actuality, those things from, alum, from an alumni perspective and the overall alumni perspective, those things don't. I mean, they're still, their attitudes towards their alma mater aren't shifting that much. We don't see that much change. So even during COVID, we had high, we did a, a bunch of surveys during COVID, had a high response rate. So that was one thing, just a clarification that even uh, that kind of traumatic event didn't really change the kind of responses we were getting with the people themselves, the folks that were on campus during COVID. That's interesting too, because They've shown a higher level of anxiousness to get involved, I think, than other recent alumni. 
And I don't, I don't know if that's showing up at events or not, but it's definitely attitudinally there. And I think there's a real opportunity for uh, universities and colleges to take an extra effort to make sure they're aware of events that are happening, that they're letting them know these things are happening because they missed all that, I think, in those two years or whenever they were at school, they couldn't have that engagement. And now they're saying as an alum, and that would be awesome. Maybe I could I could pick some of that back up. So get back engaged with my alma mater. So that, that's been interesting too. Sorry, I was on mute. Rob, I want to follow up. Um, economic crisis, 08, 09, pandemic in 20, 1920. You, you didn't see a change in response rates or sentiment about the institution. It held pretty steady. Not really. You even take schools, like we do a lot of work with Penn State. And and all the issues they had around their athletic program, you know, it, right. it, it momentarily had some issue. But alumni, at the end of the day, your alma mater is your only alma mater. So it, it's always part of you. And, and I think alumni, those things wash by. And even if they're in the middle of a crisis, maybe in their own lives with respect to the financial collapse of 08, they're still, this is their alma mater. And and they wanted they want that they they want to feel good about the school they went to and it doesn't matter really those high level affinity indicators that's not that different if you're a tiny little liberal arts college or you're a small state school or you're a giant state school or you're a a, a top private school because every everybody's alma mater is their alma mater. Well, one of the things I'm staying off script here, Ryan. Rob can handle it. Don't worry. Uh, one, of the things I've heard you, <laughs> one of the things I've heard you say, it was a line that I think Scott Morey shared with you from Carnegie Mellon, who'll be our, on our, our show in a couple of weeks, um, is that it's the, help me out, it's the most expensive thing you'll buy that you won't resell. I say it all the time. I yeah. say it all the time. You're, you're, it is your you're higher education. It's unlike any other consumer purchase that you make. First, it's always part of you. It's the most expensive thing you'll ever buy in time and money that you can't ever sell back to somebody. Once I, once I graduate from Lehigh, when people say, where did you go to college? The answer is always Lehigh. So I have a vested interest in that having meaning to people when they leave. So it's always part of me. Then it's always going to be intertwined in the political and economic circumstance that existed when I was there. If I can't get a job when I leave because the economy's terrible, I'm going to have some different sort of relationship issues than if the economy's on fire and everybody wants to hire me when I walk off campus. 100% true if you're a Lehigh grad, but if you're a Richmond or a Tulane grad, I don't know, Rob, it's a question. <laughs> I'm teasing your two alma maters. I'm just joking, of course. Wash U is the other one. Wash U, right. So, Rob, let's talk about... Uh, perceived value and what does that term that concept mean to engagement professionals out there what does it mean for you alumni when you ask a, when we ask a question in a lot a lot maybe most of our surveys how much do various things impact your opinion and we'll ask school rank and uh, faculty accomplishments and research and all these things almost always the thing that'll go to the top if it's in the list is value and respect for degree. Hmm. Goes back to that issue of it's always part. I want that to have meaning when I tell people I went to my alma mater. I want that to have meaning. 
I want people to say, oh, oh, that's I like I know that school. I like that school. So that value and respect for degree always goes to the top. We call it equity of degree. The thing that's interesting about it, it's not like equity in a stock. If I own a stock, we all know. If we look at the ticker, we all know, is that stock more valuable today than it was a year ago, right? Because it's matured in cash, and we all know what more cash and less cash is. Equity of degree is not that. Every alumnus, alumna out there might well define that value proposition differently. So part of what we try to do in our surveys is help our clients understand the construct of that value proposition for their alumni and how that might be different for young alumni or alumni of color or alumni from engineering versus alumni from liberal arts, because those are the narratives that really can help, I think, people find the best ways to engage those folks. Rob, you've been doing this work for you know 20 years now, over 300 schools that you've worked with. I'm sure you've got a million uh, different discoveries along the way, a lot of insights, but maybe you can just share a few of the insights you've discovered from surveying alumni at, at all these institutions. What kind of stands out as some surprising themes or trends? I think that equity of degree, obviously, that I just talked about. The other two that I would probably mention off top of my head would be this connection. So Gallup and Purdue did a big study in 2015. And, and, and the findings, not surprisingly, were we as alumni credit a lot of who we are today, our lifetime well-being, at least how Gallup defines that, to our higher education and the institution that we there, that we that we got that education at our institutions. So there's this sense of a lot of the good things of who I am today are a result of that time I spent in higher ed. Love of learning, my career, my family, connection to my communities, the way I engage people. The thing we discovered is that's interesting is that's also highly connected to or highly cohesive to affinity. So we ask a series of questions that define affinity, decision to attend, willingness to promote, experience as an alum, overall current opinion. We build them into an index. And of all the questions you might ask in a survey, the ones that speak to how well did this experience prepare you for your life tend to have the most connection to that. And the thing that's even more interesting about that is there's a learning curve people figure it out over time. So now if you have if you put connect those dots, now you know, well here's this thing that's highly connected to affinity and there's a learning curve so I can maybe do things to accelerate that learning curve. Like so I want my modeling, older right? alumni any chance I can get to tell younger alumni, hey, I didn't always get it, but when when I was a student I could speak to faculty and I felt really comfortable with that. And they were really like my boss. So when I went out in the world, it was always easy for me to talk to bosses and not the guy next to me. And that's because of the experience I had at my university. And if they can articulate that and younger alumni hear it, they may say, hey, you know, that's true for me. I never thought about that. So you're accelerating that learning curve. The other would be we tend to judge events, the, the quality of an event, often by the number of people that walk in the door. We do that because we can. It's easy to count the heads. 
And it matters, right? If you get people to do something, they're more likely to do something else. So you really want that you want more people to show up. Turns out, though, we see over and over and over again in our work that alumni, even though they may never, never go to one of those events, there's this intrinsic value to them in knowing those events are happening that their alma mater has vibrancy, that things are happening, that alumni are going to events and maybe good things are happening to either that person or because they're at the event to the institution that they want the equity of a degree to go up for. So, so that we call it the kind of the paradox of event attendance that you, 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 most people won't ever show, but yet they really care about it. And to be and to get invited is incredibly important, right? Uh, they want to yeah. receive those communications, uh, and, and, and it's also and it's different sometimes. Sometimes it's the younger alumni that feel that more intensely than say older alumni. And a lot of our clients have now started after an event to send out a follow up email to alumni, especially younger alumni. Sorry you couldn't make it. Here's some pictures of stuff that happened. Oh, and oh, by the way, at an event we had six months ago, these two people met and they've started a new company. Just thought you'd like to know. One, one of the, go, ahead, go ahead, Chris. Rob, one of the surprises I've seen in a couple of results, and I'm curious if this is true across the 350 or so that you've done, um, is that the success of athletic teams in the couple I've looked at is way lower than I would have expected it to see. Is that hold true for even large publics with a major football powerhouse program? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's in that, that, that issue is often embedded in that. How much do things impact right. your opinion? Right. And so it'll be successive athletic teams. And I, I think that it's kind of connected. You remember like, I don't know, 10 years ago, six years ago, I don't even know if they're still doing it, but the NCAA took this tack. And they're advertising on uh, at, at, for in, for college athletic events, and they would show like a a, a, a school teacher and a doctor and a business person. Not all person. go pro, but just in something and, else. And they'd say all, all all of our athletes are going to go pro right. and be right. leaders right. in your community, right. but some of them might also go pro in their sport. But they're all going to be pros and leaders because that's what they're learning. And I think in part they did that because they were probably not looking at data that dissimilar to mine because that equity of degree is more. Now, when you talk about equity of degree, success of their team is embedded in that probably. But that's fun. That's yep. a fun yep. part of it. That gives them an opportunity to promote and to brag about their school. But it's really, did that thing prepare me for my life? And 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 it, is it, it sort of fundamental to who I am really is? is the driver, I think. There's some cognitive dissonance embedded in that, probably too. I don't want to be the guy that says athletics is the biggest thing. I'm going to say it's all about academics, but but I think that's less of an effect than this equity of degree deal. And that sounds like, you know, if you were to tell a football powerhouse school that, you know, the winning and losing of their football program isn't that important for the way that alumni perceive the degree, I think that would be a surprising thing for some people to hear, can you? I'm sure you could confirm that. But also, are there other things that you've noticed surprise alumni uh, and alumni leaders, or advancement leaders, as a result of their survey? Can you think of any examples there? Yeah, clearly that one. In fact, I presented one football weekend at a big powerhouse school, and that was kind of in the bottom part of that impact statement. They said you must have the wrong date up there. <laughs> 
And I had just listened to their president talk about two major research initiatives they were doing for an hour. And 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 the, the, the whole board was excited. And I said, we're pretty careful to have the right data for the school. So I'm, I'll check and make sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. But I just was in here for an hour with the most active alumni on campus, the alumni board, and you had the president. And he talked about all these, these kind of things the school's doing and nobody asked about the team. So, I mean, it, and then they kind of said, well, yeah. So that was kind of evidence yeah, that, yeah, 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 these yeah. other things really matter to us, too. Um, but the other, the, the question you asked, what makes that interesting, Ryan, to me, is it shouldn't be. If, if I presented survey results to somebody and they said, oh, my God, I never, I, I can't believe our alumni think that. And they're spending their full day every day talking to alumni. Yeah. I'm worried I got to bust in the data. <laughs> they should have a sense of what's going on with their alumni. What we do is give them the narrative that's underneath that, that equity of degree. What are those persona constructs? What are the things? And that often is surprising, that there are specific things to, relevant to their alumni of color that are unique and different and maybe can help them be better at getting those folks more engaged. Um, there are specific things to younger alumni and and energy levels. And, and I think those kinds of things they are often surprised about. But the the, the kind of the, the core stuff, you know, probably not like, oh, my God, I can't believe that's true. Chris, you know, you've worked a lot of schools, right? I've worked a number of schools now. But do, do you think most schools, when they're calling the shots on making decisions about programs, what to start, stop? Are they making data-driven decisions? Is that something that more schools ought to be doing more of? What are kind of your thoughts there? Uh, I've been here for 22 years, and I would say today most schools, nearly all, would answer that question with a yes, of course. We, we use data to make our decisions. But in 2001 when I arrived, it was certainly not that. And I say if you go back further, um, it was more of an art form. We sort of used our gut, used our our own feel for what our audience has been saying to us, sometimes accurate. I mean, most times our guts are often right, but, but increasingly over the 22 years I've been doing it, I, I think we've gone from um, never <laughs> to sometimes to usually to almost always we're using data to make some form, which I think is an improvement for our industry, frankly. So, so that's my continuum, Brian. Yeah. I, yeah I there, it was interesting when I first got in it, there was Chris and a few other people at Pequod. Um, and, and some other folks that were really kind of out there on their own <laughs> looking at how do we use data, looking at the relationship between alumni showing up and giving. And they were, they were really beginning to try to capture information and use that information to help them be better at what they do and to help the university better understand the impact of alumni engagement and the role that it ultimately plays in a successful University. I mean, alumni do. I mean, I always say alumni do four things that make their alma mater better. They're the ones more likely than anybody else to recommend that folks go to the school, the best and brightest. So they're helping enrollment in a big way. They're the ones more likely than anybody else to hire graduates. So they're helping that that kind of growth of the institution and all those stats that the school wants to show 
about how what their alumni are doing. They're the ones more likely to volunteer, to show up for uh, panels, to bring real-life circumstance into the institution. And obviously, they're the most critical stakeholder when it comes to financial support of the institution. Yep. Great points there, Rob. Rob, I wanted to ask you about benchmarking. Obviously, having worked with 300 schools in the past, you've got a lot of data to you know, compare and contrast with your customers, uh, your partners. Why is it so important to have just that kind of volume of data available? Uh, why does that give you a competitive advantage against other you know, uh, survey companies out there? I think it's important for several reasons. One, it's interesting. We like to know how we're doing relative to others. So I think there's just that heart sort of gut. Hey, I want to know how I'm doing next to these other people that I compare to. But at the end of the day, whatever your alumni are saying, the narrative of your alumni, if it's exactly the same as everybody else or it's different, it's still what you need to take action on. So I think at the heart at the heart of it, that's the most important. But the other thing that having benchmarking I've discovered brings into the process is validation to the process and the instrument. So your campus partners are less likely to say, oh, well, you guys just ginned up a survey that would give you the answers to say the things that you've been trying to convince us about for the last five years and all the meetings we've been in with you. Say, no, no, this is the same questions that all of our peer institutions ask that all these other institutions ask and 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 here's what our alumni are telling us and in some ways they're similar in some ways they're different from those schools but more importantly it's what they're telling us and it's it's legit the other thing is we a lot of the schools we work with do multiple projects so three four by now five projects with us and that gets interesting because it allows them to provide that longitudinal perspective yeah. now all of our surveys are customizable so you can ask any question you want. So there'll be a lot of questions in a survey that we don't have benchmarks on because they're unique to that institution, something that they wanted to ask. But a lot of the core questions that we ask aren't that different, Chris, from what we came up with want, right? back in 2000. And I know you and some other folks, I convened a few panels through the years. And it's just those core kind of questions. How much does stuff impact your opinion? How important and effective are communications? Um, how important are, are, are events and how effective do you think, how important they are they for alumni and how well do you think we support alumni in those efforts? Those are core and at the heart of what almost every university or college is going to want to ask their alumni. So we yep. do have a lot of questions in every survey that we do have benchmarks on. Awesome. Well, we have reached the top of our live show portion this week. We are, of course, recorded but um, we're grateful for those who have checked in and are listening to today's broadcast with Rob Schatz. We are going to record our bonus section, and that it will be available on the podcast edition of Alumnus. Uh, we have a great guest coming up in two weeks' time. That is Lindsay Crum. Uh, she is the Assistant Vice President for Alumni and Community Relations at the University of Northern Colorado. I had Lindsay on a Protopia webinar um, back in May or June. And man, she is a really dynamic speaker with a lot to say. And I think we're going to focus a lot on uh, a sort of a follow-up conversation to this one, which is about data and uh, decision-making and um, processes to make sure our data is enriched and you know, how we're using it for, um, as engagement professionals. 
So we'll frame the show probably around that, and we will see everybody in two weeks' time. Uh, but so for Chris and for Rob, I'm Ryan. Thanks for joining us, and see you on the podcast edition. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Hey, Chris. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a conference together in New York City, and everyone was buzzing about how AI is going to play a role in shaping the future of advancement. Yeah, it's it was the clear theme of the conference and on everyone's mind. And when I'm at a conference like that, I do my best to talk to everybody I possibly can and hear what they're thinking. Everyone I talked to, and I had a list of 53 people I ended up bumping into or meeting with, AI was on everyone's mind. It was definitely interesting to hear the conversation about AI level up recently with ChatGPT coming into the news. Because actually, we've been talking about AI and machine learning with Max and the team at Protopia for the last few years now. Yeah, well, you know, when I looked at Protopia a couple of years ago, I was blown away by what it, it, was, it seemed like a huge leap forward in technology and how we engage with our alums and connect them with our students and our donors. Um, it, I think it's actually a great lead generation tool. I've been recommending it to my clients now for a couple of years, and it's a solution that should be investigated by everyone for sure. And I tell my, I try to stay agnostic, but I tell my clients, make sure you look at Protopia. It's transforming the way we think about and how we measure alumni engagement. And already that's why leaders at schools like Denison, LSE, Duke, Pitt, VCU, Florida State, and others have partnered with Protopia to use the power of AI to help students and alumni connect with each other. And we are psyched to have Protopia as our first presenting sponsor. Uh, to me, to me, it's a no-brainer. If I were leading an alumni relations shop today, it would be one of the first things I would do would be to install this technology and have it connect our alums to each other and to our students. We recommend all alumless listeners head over to protopia.co forward slash alumless. That's P-R-O-T-O-P-I-A dot C-O forward slash A-L-U-M dash L-E-S-S and schedule a time to chat with the Protopia team. They'll be happy to talk shop for a few minutes and share more about their exciting AI-powered technology. All right, welcome back to the bonus segment of Alumless. I am back with Chris Marshall and Rob Shaw, President and Managing Consultant at PEG, the Performance Enhancement Group and the Alumni Attitude Study. Rob, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Rob, if someone was looking to find your product, listening to this right now, I tell them to Google PEG AAS and they'll get what they need. Right, our alumni attitude survey goes up to the top, I think. Um, but PEG, alumni attitude study, will always go to the top. And first, you know, uh, full disclosure, Chris, you introduced me to Rob, and, and now I'm doing some work with Rob. And I, we've rebuilt their website. And now one of the things I've been working to do is make the term alumni survey a key searchable a term for so using it in more of the blog posts and uh, because alumni attitude study finds it automatically. But um, those of you who are listening, you're thinking, I'm looking for an alumni survey, alumni attitude study, and um, that'll bring you right to the website. But um, Rob, let's pick up the conversation where we left off. This one's uh, not a fastball, a bit of a softball. Uh, what do you like most about working on surveys with partners? I, it, it's kind of twofold. It's got to be the first are the people. I mean, all the all the different folks. 
people that work in and run alumni and in, in advancement shops. We do our projects mostly with the alumni group will lead the project, sometimes communication, sometimes annual fund, but it's the people. Um, I just think the folks that have those jobs are wonderful people and really committed to what they're doing and anxious to do what they're doing better. Um, and I think that the the information we can provide them, they're really, they, it, it, they, a lot of times they hadn't, a lot of them had never done a survey. And so it's their first time to really get this persona construct of their alumni and, and, and all these ideas start popping in their heads of what they could do diff better or how to do things differently. That and, and, and I love the data. So um, we have this big database now of a million or so responses from alumni over 23 years. Um, and, and, and I don't get as much time in there as I'd like, but we're hoping to do more of that in, in the near term of really ferreting out what are some, some narratives that are really interesting across the industry? Uh, because I don't think, I don't think that exists kind of anywhere else. And so it's, it, it's, I think it's important that, that we share that as best we can. Rob, yeah. I'll go off script again with you on this one. Outside of higher ed, I know of at least one client you're working with right now. We'll be delivering the results in a couple of days. It's been pretty interesting to do a dive into that population. Can you talk about that just for a few minutes? Talk about a dive the audience into that we've just surveyed, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Association. Right, right. I know who you're talking about, but I didn't get what you're what you're going after. Anything interesting about that particular pro project that you can recall? Yeah, that one's particularly interesting, and and we were getting into it a little bit today, Chris. But I think the real interesting thing in there is a just. I think there's this real desire for those folks to feel like a community and and they don't feel like there's a mechanism to be a community. Yep. Yep. I think alumni associations have this natural, it's been around so long and they, they kind of already have it to some degree and it's just sort of part of it. So I'm part of the community. I'm a graduate of this. You know, they, they fly the colors, they do all that stuff. That that group hasn't had as much opportunity. And then I also think there's really fascinating nuanced differences and opportunity between the Paralympians, the yeah, Olympians, yeah. between the even summer winter and also men, women. There are a lot of things that pop out, I think, and we got into it a little bit this morning that give them some interesting. So the what's her name? The president there. I watched that video that she set up on a chat, one of the or, of sort of the problem that often those athletes have transitioning into the rest of their lives. Life after sport, as they say, yeah. Yep. And it, but it turns out that it, that really changes over time. Yep. So there's this huge opportunity. And they, the, the I think they're kind curve, of thinking right? it's part of everybody, but there's this real, there's this real mentoring opportunity. Yeah. Bigger than a university has in mentoring, because yeah. in a university, you're, men, you're we're all kind of the same and it's just sort of all people. That's a very unique population with a unique set of things that older older alumni can really help younger yeah. alumni leverage this thing they've done into kind of other areas of success in their lives. Really interesting organization, and and it's great that the two of you have had the chance to work on that project together. I think I'm excited to to read through the report and 
Um, listeners just got a little sneak peek, a little inside baseball on a pretty interesting uh, world-renowned organization and some of the challenges that they go through. Right. Um, you know, Chris, you know, uh, I know in the beginning of the show, you talked about having worked with Rob as one of the first institutions mm-hmm. to work with Rob on an alumni survey. Um, thinking about that particular project or perhaps others that you've worked on, what stands out about you know, that particular experience of conducting the survey, you know, some of the conversations that led into it, perhaps some of the conversations you had while you were looking at the data or interesting things that may have happened as a result of, of having that survey done. Yeah. So I mentioned it earlier, but twice at Lehigh, the first one that was for free and then I paid for the second and then uh, it was all worth the money. And then uh, again, when I got to Cornell, we did it. Um, so I've done it you know, in-house three times and probably a dozen times working with clients who use the tool and we apply that to our work. And, you know, I, I would say two, two things. Um, one, it, 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 first of all, the data we got back validated a lot of what we already knew, but we had data to show people and to go to a dean and say, or to whomever, a board and say that. It, it gave me ammunition for things I needed ammunition for. Um, you know, some of that was selective uh, loading of that ammunition, but, uh, but you could take it and you use it for what you need. Um, and that was really helpful. Uh, and I throw in justification as another, uh, justifying for the way we were doing certain communications, for example, or moving to more digital. Th- those were all things that the survey helped. The, the biggest thing for me though, and I found this out, not in the first, a little bit in the second, but by the time we did it at Cornell and now almost every time I do it with a client, I say to them, you got to involve everybody on campus in this process. You go over there in the alumni office and do it by yourself problem. Even if you pull in your your colleagues in the alumni team to help create the survey, you got to make sure everybody knows that it's happening. They have a chance to weigh in on what questions are in there, how they're, whatever. Uh, Bring in careers, bring in student affairs, bring in development, annual giving, all those different people so that they all have a chance to weigh in on that instrument. And even if it's just to be aware that it's happening so that when you see the results later on, it's going to hit their world. Uh, it's, I think is the most important thing you could do in prepping for a survey instrument that I've learned now over years of doing this. When I was a young, you know, didn't know any better. I just did it on my own. And now I realized that it's got to be done in collaboration with all partners across campus. So that's the biggest lesson for me in this whole thing. That's a really great insight too. And it's, it's a, a large event of significant magnitude, right? Yeah, Rob I mean, talked about it. Yep, yep. Think, as Rob talked about it, you know, think about the cross campus efforts that say go into a big homecoming event. You can't just do that in a vacuum if you're the alumni office, yep. right? I mean, so many people have to get pulled in. The same is true, of course, when you're doing a big survey and, and the, the amount of engagement, the potential that exists is humongous. Rob, so following up on that, you know, how do you work with partners to make sure their alumni attitude study project is a success and what makes for the best, most successful projects? Yeah, well, most people, when they first come to us, kind of like Chris is, I think what he just said is good. I came there because I wanted these things. I wanted to have some data. I wanted to be able to use the data. I wanted these, this understanding of that population. And obviously, you're going to get that. But I always tell people there's three foundational pillars that you ought to really set this project on. That, I want the information so it can help us do what we do better, so we can use it to accomplish things that we can justify what we're doing, justify adding people into into 
different aspects of what we're doing. That clearly is there. But the other two are the two things you just talked about. The middle one is, so if you send out a survey to 100,000 alumni, and let's say 10% of them respond, you've just held an event with 10,000 people in attendance at your event. So if I, if you knew you were going to do that, how much would you go out with it? How public would you be? How much would you tell your, we all know all the interpersonal skills, gurus, if you want to, every development officer knows in their bones, if you want to get in relationship with somebody, the most important thing you can do is ask them their opinion and do it in a way that they really believe you care about that opinion. And this is the same thing, but with 100,000 or 200,000 or 50,000 alumni. So on that, we have a lot of schools we work with. The president of the university will do a video saying, I am so excited we're doing this. And then that gets to what Chris was saying. The third part is it brings the campus partners into the mix. But you got it. It takes work to do that. But but it, it's not cumbersome. I think it can happen really smoothly. It's not like, oh, I don't want to bring them in because then they're going to want to write the survey. It, it doesn't work that way. It, the, it'll run smoothly. We've done a lot of these. It, it'll run smoothly. It doesn't gum up the works. But what it does is if they feel like they're involved in the process, then when you got the the results, they're interested. They want to. They want to hear. They want to know how they can do it. I've had a lot of, and Chris, Chris has heard. I think other folks say this as well. Is the data was great. What I did with it was great. But one of the unexpected things that was really wonderful was for the first time, I had all these people in a room talking about what matters to this incredibly important stakeholder group alumni that are never in a room together talking about that. And thinking about it from enrollment to student affairs. And a lot of folks will say our relationship with student affairs had a dramatic shift and has stayed different since we did the alumni study or since we did a survey, even if they didn't do our, but, but if they're, if they're owning that element of it, what, what makes clients successful, I think is embracing those elements. The ones that get it about that. We always start our projects, what we call a kickoff call. And you always want, you want advancement services there. You want marketing communications there because you really want Marcom interested in, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to really, can, I'm going to do some interesting stuff. I'm going to let people know this is coming. And we have web pages full of how schools have done it that we share with our clients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you, what about some memorable exchanges over the course of time? You, you mentioned the one where you sort of told the the football powerhouse school that athletics wasn't that important, and they and they and said, I did check, Ryan. It was in fact the right data, so was, I, feel good I believe it. it. I believe you had the right data all along, and I'm not so sure you actually checked. Um, but you know, good or bad, you know, can you talk about some of the more memorable projects that you'd worked on? Yeah, there was another interesting one. So we were sharing out the findings with an alumni board on, and they had just, so the university had just done it, finished the strategic plan. And they were talking about what the, what the alumni kind of engagement planks of the strategic plan for the university. And it was, we're going to increase our number of people that attend events to this. So we're going to have this kind of 10% increase and stuff. But after we were done talking about all this, 
they kind of took a whole this whole. I thought it was a fascinating tack. They said, "Well, what if instead of that, we kind of rethink what we're doing and saying we're really the people that are responsible for getting alumni across the campus doing those four things that I talked about." And there, there are alumni that are sitting in advisory councils and all these different places. Why don't we say, and we'll figure out a way to try to track it, kind of like Kennedy, you know, saying well, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're, we'll figure, we'll work on ways to try to track. But why don't we say our goal is that thirty percent of our alumni will, in some way or another, do something to further this strategic plan. And our goal is to help everybody in engaging alumni do that. So a lot of their board members were also on advisory panels. And so they started thinking about, well, how can we better understand what alumni are doing in, in at that College of Engineering? And who are they? And how do we keep track of that? And so what's kind of better inspiring alumni to make the strategic plan successful in all the many ways that they can do it? And I thought that that was sort of an interesting trajectory. I think they took what they were doing up to a whole different level. I think um, strategic planning and using the data to impact strategic plan is is something that when we do our projects, right, the uh, assessments and then you know working on alumni survey and then strategic planning, it's the perfect sort of fit, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and taking it even the strategic plan of advancement, but then also thinking about the role alumni play, not just in giving to the success of the strategic plan of the entire university. Yeah. Rob, do you take the when, when a client works with you and you provide them the data, you provide the explanation, you give them the storyline, you share with them what steps they should take, but are they specific recommendations based on the results that are going to increase their engagement? Is that something you will naturally do, always do? Does it depend on the client? Yeah, it's always there. There's always, it, it's it, it's always there. It's there in different forms, depending on how they build out their project. So there's lots of, we offer everybody kind of, diff, everybody has different resources they can allocate to this. And we try to work with them on how to best use their resources to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish through different elements. But there are no projects that don't have kind of embedded in them. Here are some things that we think can really help you. Got it. Can Got help it. you be better at what you're doing. That that another thing that's interesting that we've seen a lot. I think that there's this narrative out there. I think universities and colleges are on this pendulum back and forth. Oh my God, we had 50 people unsubscribed in the last month. Somebody from communications or development saying. We cannot send all these emails out. Put all that in one newsletter and send it on a monthly basis. <laughs> so, and, and the other end is, well, we haven't sent alumni anything in a long time, so we need to maybe send more. I don't think they're getting enough. But that's all just based on the last conversation they had or that 50 people out of 200,000 unsubscribed. What we see consistently is... When, wherever they're at on that, often there's this little tiny amount of people that say, I get way too much email. Yeah, yeah. There's usually a lot more room to that. And it, it's based on this, I think, misconception that communications are a zero-sum proposition. And what I mean for that is there's this kind of behind their thinking, 
this notion that if I send one this one additional solicitation out, I have to take one of these other kind of communications away. It has to balance. I have to balance that equation somehow, or I'm going to overload them. And I think it's exactly the opposite. I, I think that if you want to do more solicitations and have less of that notion of all I have, that, that I get too much solicitations, yeah. it's not by sending less of the invitations and the nurturing pieces. It's actually sending more. Yeah, yeah. It's the actual opposite of what that mindset drives you to. And our data can sometimes help help different yeah. groups in that mix begin to understand that better. And that jives a lot with what we see in other sectors, you know, you know, think about the emails you might get from your favorite clothing brand, right? Or, you know, it's it's buy something, but then it's all sorts of other engagement emails, right? To, right. to keep you as part of the tribe, interested in being part of the community. And the natural inclination to draw back on email is is real, but there's a lot of evidence that you should you should you should try to do more. If I was if I was leading a program again, one of the first things that I would do is is hire an email specialist. Yeah, uh, someone who is competent, capable of assembling really great emails and taking a lot of pride in the art uh, and the function of them. I mean, the the United States Olympic Paralympic Committee survey. The number one thing I'm going to recommend to them because because not only did we hear what Rob just said, it was even more drastic than higher education. These Olympians are dying for community building information and, and contact. So the new alumni director there, Lisa Milne, who's doing a great job and it's a month in the role. The first thing I'm going to say to her is we need to build out a communications plan and someone to deliver it, Ryan, to your point. So yeah. 100%. Yep. Rob, I want to ask you from your lens, you've seen the industry for 23 years now. What have you seen? Evolutionary stages come through and go away or start up. Where are we? How would you critique us? Give us a. <laughs> I, I think it. I think it's 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 clearly evolutionary, and I think in a good way. Um, as you said, when we first started, I mean, uh, there were guys like Ed Paquette, right? There were alumni directors out there that really their job was when the president had a big donor on campus and they were busy, they would play golf with them, and that was kind of at the heart of what alumni relations did. And 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 it, it's really now become a profession. And and I think it's 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 exciting to see people like Chris go to Lehigh and then Cornell and then do other things. I was talking to somebody the other day at a school, and and this was the third institution, and he's now heading up an alumni shop. But it's the third institution that he's worked with us, but different schools in different capacities. And he said that must make me special. And I said, well, and I started rattling off some names. And he, and he said, well, I guess that's a pretty good group of people. Chris was one of the names I rattled off. And I said, that, that's a pretty good group to be mixed in with. <laughs> but, but I think it speaks to the professionalism of not only the practitioners in alumni relations, but of the university's understanding of alumni. When Chris, back in the day, the biggest, the reason people had dues-paying alumni associations often was because they had to have, they felt like they had to have an independent source of revenue because if a president came in, they were likely to disband alumni relations and hire four more development officers. Yep, yep. And that's a bad reason to do it. There, there are some good reasons maybe to have a dues-paid association as a way to get people to stand up and show up, and there are people that have had success with that, obviously. 
but that's a bad reason. If you're doing it because you want money, it's really not going to work because it'll it'll get crosswise with other stuff. But um, but I think that 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 whole kind of professionalism has changed. Those sort of things have evolved into a good place. I, you might know you work with a lot of folks. I don't, Chris, Ryan, both. Um, but I don't see. I don't. I, it's been a long time since I've seen somebody say, "Oh, I don't think this president understands alumni relations. I don't think he thinks alumni. He or she thinks alumni relations is important." I think, by and large, anymore, they get it. They get it that you can't do development without the whole sort of engagement and getting the whole population feeling like they're part of something important and that they matter as part of that. Yeah, I would argue, though, I agree, but I think our sample is biased because if they're going to spend money on a survey or a consultant, <laughs> they're going to probably have that attitude in the first place. Yeah, I'm sure there are schools out there that are still like that, but but I, but I, I'll say that that a lot of schools, even that we worked with back 15 years ago, were like that. No, I, I agree. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, it's definitely improving, and, and we'll never get all the way there, but it's definitely, I think, improving. And these things that you're talking about, those are really important and I think valuable things for universities to think about. Annual fund and alumni relations. There are some really good reasons for that all to be under one shop. Not always, but sometimes. And, I, and I, I'm anxious to hear Chris's sort of 10 point sort of reasons why it makes more sense to do that. Same with uh, career services. There are schools that I think yep. have had some success combining alumni relations and career services because who's better at helping young people move into their work lives than alumni who've already done that, that can yep. help them better understand that. And bringing those together can be great. It can be a disaster if you're not set up right to do it. So it's really understanding how to do it and then doing it. You're hitting Ryan's world. That's his background. Yeah, I find that a really, and you're, but you're right, you know, it doesn't work everywhere. And you know, if there's five schools that make the merger and, and align the career program underneath advancement, there's another school that's moved it back out, right? Underneath academic affairs or student affairs. And I think the yeah. key there actually is is not so much the alignment. It's, it's, it's the degree to which the provost is leading the narrative that the career engagement piece is important. And because at most schools, students only do things because they have to. And that's the faculty drive that. Yeah, it could be. And it's a, it's their real different skill sets. I mean, a career services has a bunch of unique skill sets that are different from people that are doing alumni relations. But this, 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 the Simba, the, the connection of it can really make a big difference if it's done right, the right people, the right provost, the right leadership the right kind of orientation, I, I, it can really be. But those are the things I talked evolutionary. Those are the things that yeah. I don't think anybody would have even thought that could happen 15 years ago. I mean, that that wasn't even in the mix because it just, those, those are different. And I think people are understanding, well, not necessarily. And it's because of that evolution of alumni relations and the understanding of that engagement role. Well, in the few minutes we have, let's switch gears to our Friday cheers section of the show. Every Friday, we uh, each of us come to the show with something that we're chattering about, something we're thinking about, kind of water cooler talk that we would like to share on a Friday afternoon to kind of complete the week. Um, Rob, you want to go first with your Friday cheers? 
Um, well, I live in Houston, so my biggest cheer is it's not 100. We didn't have three-degree d- day <laughs> weather. <laughs> We've had our first days of something less than 110 degrees and 90% humidity. So that's the, the most cheerful thing I'm experiencing these days. But uh, but the other cheers are just, um, I think, like one of the things that's been really good for us, and, and I've t- you, you can see I'm at home. I think, and we went 100% remote and the pandemic, we would have never done that had it not been for the pandemic and for our work and the company that we are and the people that work for me, we are so much more effective doing it this way and more productive. I know that doesn't work for every company and there are some instances where it doesn't, but I have kind of a cheer for the, all the, all the sort of trauma of that pandemic. That's one of the things it brought to us that's been just, a blessing. Yeah. Did you have an office before, Rob? That's yeah, we had an office there. and 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 all the staff there. And it, it's the weirdest thing. So we're in an office. Everybody's got their own office. I swear to God, we communicate a lot more now with each other that we're not in an office together <laughs> than we did then. So when we were in an office together. If I'd have said, I really think we ought to get together every morning and start to talk about what we're doing there would have been rebellion. <laughs> We're going to sit for a staff meeting every day. That's the stupidest idea ever. Every day, we all look forward to our 10 a.m. call where we talk about what's going on, what we're all doing, how we can help each other do what we're doing. And and that just never would have happened in that office environment, I don't think, or at least with my, I, I never could get it to happen. Yeah. Cool. I'm with you. Three cheers for asynchronous work from home. Yeah. I'm not moving to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania to work for CMAX. So it's been a blessing for me as well. There's no office. So you're not allowed. Even. There's, there's no <laughs> I got another desk Chris. over there you can use. If you <laughs> Chris, what are your Friday cheers? Mine's a, not really depth or heavy at all, but it's a, something that it comes up this time of year every year is this football season, college and pro football, but yeah. college especially for me. I don't know about you, Rob, but I happen to – I check scores throughout the day and at the end of the day to see how clients of mine have performed. And it makes the calls, and if they win, a lot easier. If they lose, you just avoid them the following week. So so the whole water cooler conversation about following your teams and support. And I think there was one point, Ryan, I told you last year that in the bowl games, we had like 32 of our current or former clients were in bowl games and like 24 of them won. So I said, you have a better shot of winning a bowl game if you're a CMAC client. That's my takeaway on that correlation, Rob. (laughs) There's no question. My my following of college football pre-2000 was a lot less than it is today. Yeah. But I, I watch it down, and one of my staff, uh, Allie, who who hope a lot of the people on the podcast might know, because she's she's kind of our project manager for most a lot of the projects that we run, and she is just a a, a college football and pro football fanatic. Really, I didn't know that. That's she, interesting. She knows everything about all of them. She's in like four different fantasy leagues and she's always, well, I'm more worried about this or that. And love it. So, so, uh, so yeah, definitely football's been fun. It's a good time of year. I've been, I was in a fantasy league for like 10 years, right out of college with a bunch of college friends and it kind of dissipated after about 10 years, guys just had kids and it kind of fell apart. So I haven't been doing it for several years and my wife has been doing it 
uh, <laughs> for the last four or five years. And if any um, folks listening to the show don't know my wife, Catherine, but she is a very competitive person. Yes. <laughs> uh, and she is, you know, when when things are going wrong with the fantasy team, like it's the opposite of what it used to be. Like when I watch the Eagles and the Eagles are losing, like when Catherine's fantasy team is going the wrong direction, like watch out, man. Stay away from mom in the house. It's tough for the Catherwood residents. Uh, and yeah, she, she drafted a tight end on the Kansas City Chiefs, um, uh, Kelsey, and, and he was out the first game of the season. Uh, and I've given her a lot of grief about drafting an injured guy. But um, <laughs> also, she doesn't like push back her uh, criticism either. So um, definitely, those, Ryan, those mansplain to her how fantasy football drafts should work. See how that goes. <laughs> I will I'll mansplain to her. Yeah, she like that. Uh, well, last to close things out, my uh, yeah, I watched three hours of Eagles, uh, their win on Sunday, which was a, a very exciting game. Uh, I'm glad they pulled it out. But and then this morning we were talking about or yesterday with uh, Steve Devlin and he sent around this slide that I'm showing on the screen now, which no one is going to be able to see because everyone is listening to the podcast version right now. But he took a, a picture of attention span associated with this is a uh, cnn story uh screen cnn story and it's a attributed to a new podcast that's coming out uh, called chasing life and it says in the attention spans looking at screens in 2003 was two and a half minutes okay nine years later in 2012 it was 75 seconds okay so cut you know in half and now our intention spans looking at our screens is 47 seconds. And we were talking about this in the context of, you know, the alumni engagement and annual giving um, notion and, and communications. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I find myself in that 47 second <laughs> zone right now. Right. Like yeah. it's it's kind of hard to think about. But whether I'm reading an article, I'm like, I'm skimming, I'm skimming I'm out of here. You know, watching a video, watching a video, uh, done with that one. And, and it's and I don't know how those you know habits are sort of been generated or what we as engagement professionals ought to be doing or thinking about it, but we're really not thinking terribly hard about it. Uh, because the content we're creating is still on long form and we're still sending people, you know, these long magazines and we're sending people you know, these long newsletters and, and people just aren't having it, you know, that's just doesn't jive with the way people consume content. And so anyway, I'm leaving with a sort of a rhetorical question. I blame like, TikTok, right? TikTok. TikTok right? <laughs> but there's Instagram reels, right? And then there's yeah. Facebook stories and then LinkedIn even tried it, right? So all of the social media platforms know this and have built and they are, I think they are fundamentally part of the reason why they have reduced our attention spans, right? Is because we're just used yeah. to switching things up. Anyway, I, conversation. I that about that alumni magazine is still the favored communication for alumni in every survey you do. Yeah, well, you're also not asking people, what do you like the, the university's TikTok account? You know? <laughs> right. Like, well, we do sometimes uh, social media and TikTok are usually, not TikTok, but social media. But yep. they still love that magazine. They may not read it, but maybe they just like it sitting there on their coffee table or whatever. If you were to ask in an alumni survey, what would be your preferred mechanism of consuming content? The alum regular alumni magazine or short one-minute stories delivered by your favorite social media 
accounts or platforms. I'd be really interested to see what it would say, particularly amongst younger alumni. Uh, But, you know, I'm 45. So the magazine will be clearly much higher for older alumni than younger alumni. So that trend is clearly there. Social media is the opposite trend. But social media has not caught up with. It's still even the 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 percent the 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 degree with which younger alumni say they they read the magazine is about the same as the ones using social media. But it's a lot higher on social media than older alumni, and then it varies. The the yeah. older alumni kind of like LinkedIn, and younger media kind of like some are like Facebook. Older alumni like the Facebook and all that. Younger alumni more mid career kind of LinkedIn, and then. And then a lot on miscellaneous other stuff for the newer, newer. I'm on MySpace. I'm going to try to go off of that. You're on MySpace. Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't rush into that, Chris. You don't want, you don't want to, you know, it might be coming back. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't move too fast on that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was a great episode, fellas. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you very much. Thank you all. Thank you all for doing this podcast. It's a wonderful thing. I think a lot of people are learning a lot from it, getting a lot of benefit from it. And it's a real service to all of the folks out there trying to do this work of getting alumni involved and supportive of their alma mater. If you have not had an alumni survey uh, at your institution, you listen to it, it's about time. We recommend that alumni institutions do about a survey every three to four years as part of like a a healthy advancement organization. You want to keep doing those and then you can benchmark the data against your previous survey. Anyway, lots to talk about. We'll talk about it some more. Uh, And uh, thanks, gentlemen. We'll talk again soon. See you in two weeks with um, Lindsey Crum. Thank you all. Thank you, everybody. everybody.